This week I was just thinking about circumstances. You know, we all have circumstances. We all have, have stuff going on in our lives. And I was thinking about it and I was really, I was heavy with circumstances. And then as I'm praying about it and as I'm seeking God about it, I kind of felt like this. I got like a, when, a, when your kid falls and you, and you don't really respond, you're just like, you're okay. Just get up and keep going. You're fine. I kind of felt that from God. I felt like this, not this like coddling feeling. Um, and so I started thinking about something Ethan and I have talked about a lot, just, just the context of military and warfare. And I remember talking to this guy at a men's advance, and we were talking about when there's an objective in, and I may get this wrong, forgive me for everybody who's in the military. Um, when, when, a, when a group of soldiers, Marines, have an objective to do, their life becomes secondary to getting that objective done. It's not that they're not self-aware. It's not that, they, that the self-preserving thoughts don't go through their mind when bullets are flying at them. But getting that objective done is what they have to do. And so watching your, your, the guy next to you, you know, watching his back and, and being, being aware of everything that's going on around you, it's, it's there. But your eyes are transfixed on I have to get this objective done, right? When, when the soldiers are storming the beaches of Normandy, the, the objective is to secure the beachhead. That's the objective. And, it's, and it sounds harsh to say we're going to lose people. People are going to get lost in this fight. But that falls secondary to the main objective, which is winning the war, right? Whenever we look back, we don't lose the fact that we lost men during, that, during, during, um, during the storming of the beaches. But we don't let that overshadow the fact that that gave us the foothold into Europe, into, into victory, right? So I started thinking about that with, in context to everything that's going on in my life, everything that's, you know, and, and hopefully this encourages anybody that may be going. I said something last week, and, and I didn't really catch it. Candace mentioned it to me after, and I've mentioned, and I've said this before, I think, to Pastor Chris, just in our discussion, but Paul was very self-unaware. Paul was very self-unaware of Paul. He knew Paul, of course, right? He, he, he he knew who he was and he knew what his mission was. He knew what his purpose was. But he was secondary to the goal. He was secondary to the mission. His life was secondary to the mission. Um, he says this to the Philippian church when he's, in, when he's on house arrest in Rome. In Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become competent in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We tend to wear a set of goggles in our developed nation, in our developed society that says going to prison is bad. It's wrong, and we should have pity for, for Paul. And we should, you know, our, our natural instinct, our carnal instinct is to try to help him get out of prison. But sometimes God allows things to happen. And Paul, and what, what's so amazing here is not what happened, but the fact that Paul saw it as an opportunity to advance the gospel. This is my objective. Get the gospel to as many ears as can possibly hear it. 
that's my objective. That's what I'm going to go for. That's what I'm going to do. And that's not everybody's objective. But Paul knew his objective. He knew it, and he allowed himself to be secondary. He allowed his life to be secondary to that objective. Um, He was very self-unaware. He knew his life was a vapor. Listen to this. He knew that he was a tool in the hands of a sovereign God. Right? If you look at a set of tools, there's, there's dents, there's dings, there's scratches. Whenever I worked on a drilling rig, you know, every hammer we used was a 20-pound hammer, 20-pound sledgehammer. And I never saw a sledgehammer get replaced. We would burn out the old handle and put a new one in it, and we'd go right back to work. And those hammer heads were so banged up, so, so dented in, so, so large gashes in them from somebody mishitting something, and they, they, they bore some scars, right? But they, were, they, but they were useful in the hands of the right person, right? And Paul knew his life was that. So he didn't have to worry about being in prison. He didn't have to worry about these things because he knew that he was a tool in the hands of a sovereign God. Most importantly, and again, this sounds hard in our, in our carnal thinking, he knew that he was expendable. He knew that if his life laid down, God could raise somebody right up behind him. And he was okay with that. Paul was okay with that. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And I think, again, our carnal mind tends to go there. Well, God must not care about me. No, he cares immensely about you. But God is, in, God is outside of time. We live in this finite existence and this finite understanding of our mission, of God, of, of our purpose, of the church, of the Holy Spirit. And God is outside of that. And so he can, he can function differently. He can use us differently because he's already on the other side. Right? He's already there. He's already there welcoming Kelly in, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. He's already there. God doesn't have to exist in our time. Um, so Paul's objective is to advance the gospel. And whatever happened along the way, he really took in strides. I'm going to run over to Acts. And I'm really going to kind of burn through this so you guys can write these down. You can try to follow along. I'm not going to read them word for word. I'm just going to kind of kind of go through some scenarios that Paul experienced on his, on his journey. I'm starting in Acts 13, um, verse 49, right? Yep. And through the end of, or through the end of that chapter, really, um, Paul's in Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia and the Jews there actually received the gospel. They, they received it. They were like, Hey, this is, this is a great message. And then a day later or a week later, however much time goes by, all these Gentiles start coming. And they start receiving the message. And they start rejoicing in the gospel. And the Jews get jealous. They get jealous. And so they stir up this, they stir up this crowd. It says they incited. Um, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, the leading men of the city. This is verse 50. Um, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They drove them out of their district. You know, Paul could have got stuck there. My mission failed. I went to plant a church and it didn't work out for me. I went to do the work of God and these people drove me out of town. He could have become very self-aware, right, of, of, of his own failures. Because we, we tend to be goal-oriented. Was I successful? How many people did I, did I get to come to this church? How many people was I able to reach? They drove him out of town. Paul was okay with that. 
Uh, it would have been very easy to become distracted. I, I know I would. I do. Um, but Paul wasn't worried about his own validation, right? Paul's not worried about being validated. Paul doesn't need the group, the crowd, to confirm that God's called him to do something. That's not what his mission was. His mission wasn't to get validation. Moving the gospel forward, advancing the gospel, this is all that mattered to Paul. And so what does he do? Acts 14, 5 through 6, we find him, he's in Iconium, right? Um, and there's an attempt to have him stoned, and some of the disciples, they find out about it, and they get him out of town. Um, you know, and again, Paul wasn't aware, so right? So, so we could take this, like, I'm so unaware of myself, I'm going to stand my ground, I'm going to get stoned. No, the, the, that's the opposite extreme, to say, well, I'll just get killed, I'll be a martyr, and I'll be, no, that's not, that wasn't it either, right? Like, just to go die, that's not the mission either. Eventually it would be, but that's not the mission here. That's not the goal here. So, so he got out, um, and he goes on to Lystria, and he's stoned there. He actually is stoned there. Um, he's left for dead. He gets up. He goes back into the city, and then he leaves the next day. He goes on to Philippi. He's beaten. He's jailed at Philippi, right? And what happens in Philippi? It's ironic, right, because he was writing to the Philippian church about being in jail and about the Praetorian guard, the whole guard hearing the gospel. Well, in Philippi, when he's jailed in Philippi, uh, Acts 16, 19 through 30, the Philippian jailer is converted to Christianity. He hears the gospel and, and he receives the gospel. And that, that's a great, you know, to, that, that's, this is all great stuff. Like, go and read this stuff because then the, the leaders of the city, they want to try to get Paul out of there quietly. And Paul's, you know, no, they're going to come and they're going to, they can escort me out, right? Paul is taking all these things in stride. He, he, he's, going, he's going wherever wherever God is kind of filtering him. He's allowing that to happen. He's going there because there's a greater mission at hand. It's not just to build something. It's not just to, just, just to, just to identify as a pastor or as a leader or as a missionary and, and somehow get validated by that. Paul knows there's a greater mission. Advancing the gospel, that's the objective. That's his only objective, and he presses on. He continues on going through that, going through all of these things, not considering himself in the least. Um, Acts 17, 2 through 10, he's in Thessalonica, and there's a mob that rises up there, and they push him out. They push him to Berea. That same mob from Thessalonica follow him to Berea and push him out again, and he ends up in Athens. And you know, some good stuff happen in Athens. The point is, is that Paul never stopped. He never checked up. He never, he never, and maybe he did. I don't know, right? Paul writes to Timothy and he's lonely. We see Paul has natural human emotions. He's not this emotionless person. But when we know what our objective is, we can push beyond our circumstances. Right? When we know what our objective is, we can push beyond the ridicule. We can push beyond, you know, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, where is he at? He's at a brook that God sent him to. And Elijah has the power within himself to speak and rain will come. But when the brook dried up, he didn't speak for rain. He moved on. He said, okay, my resources here are gone. God must be moving me. And he moved on. Because there was a greater objective, right? The rain wasn't about him having water. The rain was about something else. There was a bigger objective at play there. 
in Acts 20, verse 22 and 23, this is what Paul says. He, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he, and he doesn't go to Ephesus because I think he's, he's worried he'll be kept there because he had such a, such, such a big ministry there, such a big impact there. So he, so he goes and he, he lands somewhere else and he sends people to bring the, the leaders from Ephesus. And as he's talked to them, this is what he says. He says in verse 22, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. If we read on, there, there's prophets that come to him. He, prophets that come to him and say, by the Spirit of God, don't go to Jerusalem. And he says, what are you doing breaking my heart? I'm ready. I'm ready because my objective is not this. It's not this clay vessel. It's something more. There's something more at play. There's something more important than Billy, than Christian, than Robert, than, than not Teresa. That's, that's important. <laughs> There's something more important than me. There's an objective, and we each have an objective, right? Our objectives don't always look the same, but we all have an objective, and when we learn to aggressively take that, that, that objective in our, in our field of view and we say, I'm going for that, Regardless of what that looks like on me, man, we become really dangerous. We talked about whether or not the devil cares if you're saved, if all you're going to do is just sit around and watch, you know, Netflix or, or whatever, right? If you're not going to be useful for the gospel, right? Is that a word? Can we say that? Is somebody useful for ministry? Didn't Paul say that about Mark? He's useful to me for the work of ministry. If we're not going to be useful, if we're not going to be tools wielded by the hand of God, if we're just going to be you know, wear, wear cross necklaces and, and listen to Christian music and say, I've done it, then, then that's fine. But if we know that there's an objective, we can, we can violently take that objective. What's the term called, Ethan? Violence of action. Psalm 127 says this. It says, if the Lord doesn't build the house, the laborer labors in vain. Paul knew that the mission wasn't his. He knew it wasn't his. We get so caught up on what I'm called to do, what my mission is. It's not about me. It's not about what I can accomplish. If God has, des- if God has designated that, that, you're, that this person is going to go to this country and do such and such work, then it's not about that person. That person doesn't have to try to make all these things happen, right? You see people that really try to make ministry happen and how much trouble they have and how, and how much they, they, they strive and they really work for it. And it doesn't mean it can't be successful, but man, when God has called somebody to do a thing, I get frustrated. Like I see guys that are just, they're walking in their calls like, man, that is amazing. This guy doesn't even try. To know what our, what our purpose is, to know what our objective is, and then to really walk in it. You know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Number one. No. <laughs> Sorry. Am I prepared to look at the road in front of me and to say, if I know what my objective is, then it doesn't matter what my life looks like. 
if I know what my objective is, it doesn't matter if, if my family or my friends ridicule me for what I'm doing. If I know what my objective is, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna go there, what the political outcome is, right? It doesn't matter what the, what the election outcome is. If I know what my purpose, what the purposes of God are, I don't have to be worried about everything that's going on around me. I can pray for things, I can hope for things, I can, I can, I can, I can you know, really beseech God on behalf of things, but I don't have to worry about the outcome of the world around me when I know what my objective is. I just have to press on to that objective. And it's okay. It's okay if people push me out of this city and push me into the next. It's okay if people, you know, uh, uh, dislike me because of, because of what God's called me to do. That's okay, right? We don't, we don't, God, or Paul didn't pivot because Jews said you shouldn't be doing this, right? When, when the Jews received the gospel, and then the Gentiles received it and they got jealous. Paul didn't pivot because of that. You know, Peter did at one point. Peter did. But Paul didn't pivot. He knew what his objective was. And he kept going. Amen? Amen. That's all I got. I don't know. Um, 